All right, good morning. Thank y'all all for joining us for Sunday School. Um, we're going to continue on where Doug left off last week. Uh, so if you want to turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Um, we're going to read all the way from uh, verse 14 to chapter 7, verse 1. It's all together. Um, so if you want to join me in 2 Corinthians 6. Verse 14 says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. And touch no unclean thing, then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Chapter 7, since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of the body and spirit, bringing holiness to the completion in the fear of God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the chance to, to gather th together this morning with the saints, God. Thank you for your word and just for uh, calling us out of darkness. Thank you for separating us. We pray that as we, we study this text and examine it, God, that we would follow the command that you've given us. Father, help us to understand it. Help me to speak it clearly and understandably. And Father, may you just do a work here today. In Jesus' name, amen. So, as believers, as Christians, we really are in this odd position. <clears throat> we are, are not a people of the world, but yet we still live in the world. Um, we've been snatched out of the, the, the flames of hell, the snares of the devil, and yet we are still called to go back to them in a chance to save others, others that are lost. If you look at that first verse on your sheet, James 1.23, we're called to snatch people out of the fire. Um, however, we don't want to fall back in to those same flames when we're trying to save those who are lost. We don't want to become like the culture in an attempt to save the culture. We don't want the church to look like or become like the world that it's trying to save. Um, God has always called his people to separate themselves from all forms of idolatry, all forms of false religion uh, for the sake of their faith for the sake of their, their blessing, for the sake of their purity, but most importantly, for the sake of his glory. Um, this idea that Paul gets at here in verses 14 all the way to 7-1 is kind of the same idea that the Old Testament uh, Israelites had, that they needed to separate themselves from the world that they lived in. Um, we are people that are called out of darkness, a people called out of death, and a people set apart for God. Um, in the world, we, we see two realms. We see this realm of light, of righteousness, the spiritual realm of which believers are part of, and its focus is upon Christ. But there's also this realm of darkness, of unrighteousness, of lawlessness, and its focus is upon Satan. Um, as believers, we must oftentimes walk among the realm of darkness in order to save those who are still part of it. We must go into that realm in order to preach the gospel, in order to tell the good news of Jesus, but we also don't want to fall into that realm of darkness. And so we see Paul giving this command here in Corinthians because the, the Corinthians were a people who really needed to understand this. Um, 
these were people, if you'll remember in 1 Corinthians, as we walked through, we, we saw that there are people who um, still had ties to their old way of life. This was a people who were in a very pagan society, a society who had idol worship in temples, who did um, all sorts of things that drew them away from God. But the, the issue was that they were still claiming to be Christians, even though they were living like the world. Um, they had ties to their old ways of life, and we saw that throughout the, the whole chapter, the whole book of 1 Corinthians, and even into 2 Corinthians. They were a people who couldn't let go of the old completely. They were afraid that they were um, going to miss out, maybe culturally, because if you think about it, that's what their culture was doing. They were all attending these religious feasts and worships and sitting at the tables that of, of food sacrificed to idols. Um, and that's where all their social gatherings happen. So maybe they would say to themselves, well, I need to go into this place in order to evangelize. This is, this is a place I need to be in order to potentially save some of my friends, some of my relatives maybe, some of my family. However, we're, we're aware of many examples today that oftentimes when people start going back into the culture, starting to look more like the culture, trying to save those in the culture, trying to be socially acceptable, they begin looking more like the culture and less like Christ. And so Paul gives this command in verse 14, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Now today we don't, we don't see a lot of yoked animals walking around. It's not very an applicable thing for us to say today because yoking was something they did for in a farm, farm agricultural style. Um, but I believe most of us here knows what it means to be yoked. Um, he, he probably was looking back at Deut Deuteronomy verse, I'm sorry, 10 verse uh, 22. When he, I'm sorry, verse Deuteronomy 10, verse 10, when he said this, um, in Deuteronomy 10, 9, it says, You shall not sow your vineyard with two kinds of seed, lest the whole yield be forfeited. The crop that you have sown and the yield in the vineyard, you shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together. You shall not wear cloth or wool and linen mixed together. Now, throughout Deuteronomy, God gives Israel a lot of different commands, a lot of different do this, don't do this. And oftentimes, it's simply because God wanted his people to be set apart. He wanted them to be holy. But there are other times where he gives this command, like we saw here in verse 10, that is very practical um, to not yoke a, a donkey and an ox together. It was very practical because these two animals have very different personalities. They have very different body types. They have very different natures. And if you do decide to yoke them together, you're, you're really not going to accomplish much of anything. They're not going to plow straight. They're not going to ever, one's never going to submit to the other. They're just going to be in a constant battle. Um, and there's so much that can be pulled from, from this idea of not yoking with unbelievers from this verse. But uh, we really need to ask ourselves, what does it look like to be unequally yoked today? Uh, if you'll notice, this is indeed a command. Paul says, do not be unequally yoked. It's, it's not a suggestion. It's not something that we can say, well, maybe we shouldn't do this. It's, it's a command from God. It's something that we need to really understand. And so we ask ourselves, well, what does it mean? Does it mean that we should become like the monastic monks and nuns, where we separate ourselves from the world completely? Does it mean that we just stay within these church walls and that the, our, our, our family and friends are all comprised of Christians? Uh, does it mean that you can only work for a Christian business? Does it mean that you can only go to a Christian school? Does it mean that you can only uh, spend money at Christian uh, businesses? Um, and does it mean that your friends can only be Christians? Uh, does it mean that we're to divorce our spouse if we become a believer and they remain an unbeliever? 
Like, all these questions pop up. But again, we must define Scripture with Scripture. And Jesus calls us to go into the world in the Great Commission, preach the gospel. And so immediately, just that text there disqualifies much of what I just said. So we know um, we can't confine ourselves to monkeries or nunneries. We can't confine ourselves to these church walls because when we do that, we lose all interaction with the world. We don't evangelize. We don't go out and spread the gospel. And so I think Paul uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 gives us a clear example. What, what does this look like? What does it look like to separate ourselves? He says, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the, <coughs> I'm sorry, I, outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessings. Paul was free. There was no yoke on him. There wasn't a certain class that he had to fit into. He became all things to all people in the hope to save some. However, becoming all things to all people, he never compromised his gospel message. The gospel message stayed the same. It didn't change from person to person. Um, another example of how we're called to be removed from the world is found in 1 Corinthians 5, verses 9 and 10. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and the swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he's guilty of sexual immorality, greed, idolatry, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. Uh, Paul says that he urges people to not associate with those who are in the church who bear these, these titles, but... In, in order to go out into the world, you, you're going to have to intermingle with those types of people because they, that is the world. Those types of people are everywhere. We can associate with sinners. We can go out into the world and give the gospel to sinners. It's just important that we don't become attached to them. Um, and do we need to even look any further than Christ? He, he was called the friend of sinners. He came to save the righteous, not or the unrighteous, not the righteous. And when Jesus prayed for us in John 17, it says, But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have their, my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. We are here on this world on a mission. Uh, God has placed each of us here for good, good works that he has preordained beforehand. Um, we're, we're not called to shut ourselves up in a room. We, we're not called to cut ties completely with the world with which we live. But we are called to be salt to a dead and decaying world. Um, we are a people to be in this world, yet not of this world. So we know what this command doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that we're to separate completely from the world, but we really haven't gotten a clear definition of what does, does it mean. Uh, what is the context here? Again, Paul is, is talking to the Corinthians. He's, he's As we talked last week in, uh, when Doug spoke about the rest of chapter 6, he was talking about how Paul is 
basically standing up to these false teachers, these people who had mixed Judaism with some form of Christianity, or some form of Judaism with Christianity, and they were basically speaking out against Paul. They were talking bad about who he was, his character. And so this is the setting that Paul is talking in. This is immediately what he turns to is, don't yoke yourself with these false teachers. Don't yoke yourself with these unbelievers. Um, and Paul's warning is very similar to that found in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, where he reminds the Corinthians of how Israel, when they were in the wilderness, turned away from God to go back to their old ways of life. If you'll remember the, um, when Moses was up on the mountain, what did the Israelites do? They built the calf, they turned back to their old ways, they began worshiping the calf. And in the same way, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 20, that the, the, the Corinthians shouldn't turn back and go back towards their old way of living. In uh, verses 20 and 21, it says, No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Paul is calling for a separation at the religious level, a separation at the spiritual level. You can't take the spirit of God and you can't link that to idol worship. You can't take true biblical teaching and mix it with false teaching. How applicable is this to us today? How often do people today claim the title of Christian, yet are tied up in all kinds and sorts of spiritual idolatry? Um, you can't take truth and then mix it with a lie, because then that truth that you had becomes a lie. You can't say, well, I believe in Jesus, but I, I don't really believe that Muslims or Catholics or Mormons worship a different God. You can't say that I don't believe God would send anybody to hell, or you can't say I don't believe that everything in the Bible is, is scripture, is true. You see, a lot of liberal professors of the faith, though, will claim these things, and it's because they've taken culture and defined scripture by what they see in their culture instead of taking scripture and defining what they see in culture. Um, as a Christian, we must ensure that our yoke isn't upon culture, isn't upon the unbelieving world, but it's on Christ. Our worldview must first and foremost come from the word of God. We must be yoked to Christ first and let that determine who we are, how we see things, how we judge the world. That often means that, that we, we can't have, that, that doesn't mean that we can't have interactions with the lost world, right? It doesn't mean that we can't interact with them, but it does mean oftentimes we're not going to fit in. We're not just going to be able to be in these group settings and fit in with everybody else. Um, our identity is found in Christ, and it's, it's, we're most comfortable around other believers. We're most comfortable right here amongst believers. But when we go out in the world, it's not going to look like it does here. It doesn't look like this because we can't get along. We can't um, agree with everything that the world says. Um, and when we judge things based upon the world of God, the world becomes very different in our eyes. Um, to really apply this verse, though, it, it is difficult because you have to ask questions um, what can I become a part of as a Christian? Can I become a part of this group or that group? Can I, can I promote things even though they're led by non-Christians? Um, some examples are, are should we um, team up with 
unbelievers to accomplish what seems to be like a good goal? Can we stand beside um, other religions all in the name of social justice? Can we do these things that are, are very, where, where we get tied up with the unbelievers simply because we're trying to accomplish a, a, a common goal? Um, are there things that we can agree upon with non-believers? Yes, but the reason why we believe and why we can agree or why we say certain things is completely different. They're going to go by their emotions. Well, I feel that this is wrong. We say, well, it's wrong because the word of God says it's wrong. And so it's when we, we start identifying as members of this or members of that and not first and foremost as Christians that things become dangerous. We, we don't look, want people looking to say, well, Christians are just another religious group. See, they're mixed amongst the Muslims or the Hindus and the Catholics. They're just another religious group, but they're all, they're all pointing to God. No, we are separate. We must be separate. Um, we must always be aware of the image that we're giving off and ask ourselves, am I compromising to be a part of this? Um, for example, you have 40 days for life. It's ran by the Catholic Church. It's put on by the Catholic Church. Do we believe abortion is wrong? Yes. But can we stand alongside Catholics for the common good of trying to save children? Or should we volunteer at organizations like the Salvation Army who hold a very liberal banner of what Christianity is? Can we um, say, well, I'm a conservative or I'm a liberal? Can we say, um, well, I'm giving to this organization to help feed the hungry? if they're not an organization that is Christian, that is Christ-focused? Uh, can we join in prayer meetings with other churches that we know are speaking, um, that are not speaking biblical truth? Um, these are not small issues. These are not easy questions to answer. These are not black and white. Um, but our command here is to separate ourselves spiritually from those who are unbelievers. If there is a spiritual message going out, if there is something... Um, that we're going to be tied to spiritually, we must separate ourselves from them. Um, for example, used to, Catholics, Jehovah's Witness, Muslims, Mormons, they all believed homosexuality was wrong. And a lot of people would say, well, let's just team up together in, in an attempt to make sure that the, the law of homosexuality doesn't get passed, even though it, it did. But many people just want to say, well, let's just coexist. Let's just hold hands and sing kumbaya, and that's irrational, right? It's, it's a different goal. We have a different goal. Our end goal is not the good. Our end goal should be for the glory of God. Um, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. And likewise, in James 4, 4, it says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. We, we can't expect any good to come from pairing up spiritually with those who are spiritually dead. Paul even gives these five rhetorical questions um, from verse 14 to 16, if you'll read along with me. He says, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? That's question one. What fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? What portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? The answer to all those questions is nothing. 
All those are opposites. And the idea that Paul is trying to convey is that as Christians, we're not anything like those who are unbelievers or those who are um, idolatrous worshipers. For, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, he says first. Um, righteousness and lawlessness have nothing in common. There's no commonality there. God loves one. God hates the other. It says in Hebrews 1.9, you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God your God has anointed you with oil of gladness beyond your companions. Unbelievers are damned because they are lawless. It's, be- it, it's because it's who they are. It's not just that an unbeliever sins. They are sinners. We were sinners. It was not just that we had broken God's law. It's who we are. And it's who an unbeliever is. They are lawless. And it's who we are. We are righteous. It's, it's a style of life. And it's completely different. In 1 John 3, uh, John gives us a clear example. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practice, practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. By this is it evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. You see, there's no participation, there's no partnership between these two types of people. People are either righteous or they're lawless. In question two, he says, what fellowship has light with darkness? Again, Paul gives these two contrasting things, light and darkness. Jesus said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Light and darkness are, are polar opposites. They, they can't be mingled. They can't be mixed together. One will dispel the other. Um, if there's an absence of light, it's dark. If there's a presence of light, it's light. It's, it's very simple. Uh, Paul made this point in Ephesians 5 when he said, Therefore do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the, wor- in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. And Paul also made that same point in uh, Colossians 1, verses 12 and 13. He said, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So these first two questions that Paul asks have to do with nature. Unbelievers are lawless and walk in darkness. Believers are righteous and walk in light. There's this natural incompatibility between the two. They, they can't mix because nature their natures are completely different. Uh, the third question is, who is our ruler? And he says, what accord has Christ with Belial? Belial is another way of saying Satan. Um, Does anyone here care to list the similarities between Christ and Satan? 
It's a very short list, right? There's, there's nothing. There's no comparison there. Um, Jesus gives us this clear contrast in John 8, verse 44. He says, you are, in the fa- you are of your father, the devil, and you, your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Christ said that there's two types of people in the world. There are those who are the children of God and those who are the children of the devil. Um, We can't expect to have similarities with the children that are of the devil because we are children of God. Um, The fourth question brings up the stark contrast in what believers and unbelievers are looking forward to. What is our common goal? It says, or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? As Christians, we are to to live this life as pilgrims. We're to live this life storing up treasure for ourselves in heaven. We, We are to look forward past this life. Whereas an unbeliever should say, let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. It's let's have as much fun as we can while we're here because life's short. This is completely different. Whenever two people have different goals, they can't walk side by side. And then that last rhetorical question is, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? Um, Paul goes on then and gives us this example of an Old Testament text. In verses 16 through 18, in 2 Corinthians 6, he says, For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. We see in this text uh, what appears to be, at first glance, a direct quote from the Old Testament. He said, for God has said. When a New Testament author refers to the Old Testament, it's not always a direct quote. Sometimes it is a direct quote. Sometimes it's a mixture of a few different verses. And sometimes it's a theological combination of, of thought. And we see what Paul has done here is it appears he's combined a bunch of different verses. Because this isn't a direct quote from any... Old Testament text. Um, there are verses that give off this idea. Leviticus 26.12 says, And I will walk among you and will be your God, and you shall be my people. And the point is that if we, we make that separation from the unclean, from the unrighteous, then, then God has his arms open wide to us. It's, we must make that break. We must make sure that our hearts, our temples, where the Spirit dwells, are clean. Uh, verse 18 seems to almost be a direct quotation of 2 Samuel 7, uh, 14, where it says, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of all the sons of men. Uh, this text was written to David, referring to Solomon. It does have some messianic uh, application in it as well. But um, God promises to his children that if they obey him, they keep his statutes, uh, that he will bless them with his presence, that he will be among them. But if they sin, if they turn away from him, that he will discipline them. Um, I want us to look at the text in First Kings. It's a, a long text, but I really think that it's clear example of why we need to separate ourselves, why we don't need to be yoked with those who are unbelievers. Um, it's the story of Solomon, uh, what happens later on in his life. First uh, Kings chapter 11, verses 1 through 6 there. It says, Now King Solomon loved many foreign women, 
along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonite, and Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, You shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. And Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines, and all his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not uh, wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Asheroth, the goddess of the Sidonites, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. So in this text, we see that Solomon might have had a, made, a minor problem with women. Um, he, he obviously pursued them more than he did God. He pursued his desires. He pursued these things that he thought would make him happy. And, and remember, Solomon was the wisest man. When he was given the opportunity to ask anything of God, what did he say? What wisdom? So even being the wisest man in the world, these thousand women turned his heart away from the one true God in order to follow their idols. And that, that happened because Solomon bound himself to these women. He, he cared for these women more than he cared for his own soul. It's, it's this idea that um, he attached himself to them. And that's what this verse is getting at. Don't attach yourself to those who are unbelievers. Um, so as, as a believer, we, we must protect ourselves from idolatry. We must always walk righteously in the, wa- in the light with Christ. Um, we can't take our eyes off of Christ for anything. The world wants to promote this idea of coexistence, of peace, uh, peace at all cost. Let's just all get along. Let's never contradict one another. But did Jesus ever say he came to bring peace? In Matthew ten thirty four, he says, Do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. Jesus came to divide. Uh, we are people who must accept that we're not going to fit in in group settings. Just as salt burns when applied to a wound, we're likely going to lose many friendships, many relationships because of our tie to Christ. As Martin Luther said, peace if possible, but truth at all cost. We know truth. We hold truth in our hands. We, we have what is truth. And if we hear something in a setting where people are speaking that we know is untruthful, it's up to us to speak truth into that situation. And I stand here knowing that, that I've got a lot of work to do in that area. I'm not standing here perfectly doing that. But we need to understand that first and foremost, we're called to be Christians. First and foremost, we are to have a yoke to Christ, not trying to appease the world, not trying to appease society, because it's ever-changing. Their views, their ideas, it's always changing. Um, in Psalms 1, 1 and 2, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. We're blessed if we keep ourselves from those who are wicked, from those who mock God. We, we must take counsel in the word of God. We must take counsel in the law of God and yoke ourselves to that and not to earthly wisdom. Um, we must keep our temple, our bodies, free of idols because God is a jealous God. He will not stand amongst idols. Uh, this reminds me of that Old Testament text where it talks about the Philistines taking the Ark of the Covenant and bringing it into their temple 
uh, with Dagon, and they go to bed, wake up the next morning, they come, Dagon's fallen face, face flat. So they stand him back up and then go to bed again. The next morning they come, well, Dagon's head and arms are gone. They'd broken off. God will not be amongst idols. He is a jealous God. And so as believers, we want to have complete communion, complete fellowship with God. And um, we can only do that when we hate the things that God hates, when we remove all those things that God abhors from our lives. Um, And the reason I included verse 1 of chapter 7 is it really follows the same train of thought. It says, since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Paul moves from this command in verse 14 to a promise, to the promise here. He reminds them we are children of promise. He says beloved here, so make sure that you don't think, well, we've got to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps by cleansing ourselves. Beloved, those who are in Christ, those who have the Spirit, that's what enables us to cleanse ourselves. We don't cleanse ourselves on our own doing. We are dependent upon the Spirit of God, the work of God, the Word of God, prayer, all the mercies of God to do that. And it's only those who are indwelt by the Spirit that can do that. Um, this really, uh, when we look back at Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Why, why do we want to be yoked to, to the world? Why do we want to carry that heavy burden, that load that we can't bear, when Jesus promises us that his yoke is easy, his burden is light? Um, this text in 7.1 really reminds me of Romans 12. Uh, if you look at verses 1 and 2, Paul's basically pulling the same idea here. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you can have, uh, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And that whole word holy there is, is separated. We have to be very careful not to become like the world that we're trying to save because it's what we as believers are called to do, to be separate, to be holy. Um, And how are we to do that? By the mercies of God. On the basis of salvation, on the basis of justification, on the basis of all the things that Paul had talked to prior to Romans, talked about prior to Romans 12. um, We're we're called to cleanse ourselves, and indeed we must do that work daily. We must get after it. We must go after the sin that still exists in our life. We must make sure those idols are not present within our hearts because um, as the, I forget which period it was, our our heart is an idol factory. It loves to create idols. And we've got to make sure to cleanse ourselves from these things. Um, As it says in Philippians 2.12, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We are called to kill that remaining sin that remains in us by the power of God, by, by his mercies. Um, and so we can only do that, though, if we know that they're present, right? We need to know that the sin is there. We need to know that we have bound ourselves with the world. And how do we know that? It's by studying, by praying, by spending time in fellowship with other believers. They can point out the sins that are within our life, those things that we may think, well, this isn't really dangerous. Others can point this out and say, yes, it's very dangerous. 
Um, we don't have to compare ourselves. We don't want to compare ourselves with unbelievers. We don't want to look over at an unbeliever and say, well, they're a lot worse off than I am. Look at how good I am compared to them. We look in the mirror of Scripture. That's where we get our definition of what it means to be a believer, not from the unbelieving world. Um, and then at the end of verse 1, chapter 7, it says, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. We revere God, we have a health, healthy respect for God, and because of this reverence, we want to complete that work of holiness. We want to complete that work of separation. Um, and so we don't want to succumb to the worldview of the day. We want to be completely separate from it. Um, we can't join, join hands with those who oppose God for the sake of social justice. We can't join hands and compromise our theology just to get along with others who claim the title as Christian if they don't believe and follow and worship the same God of Scripture. Um, and it's, it's a fine line that we walk because we are called to snatch those out of the fire. We are called to evangelize and to go into the world, but we're not called to become like the world. Um, obviously, from this, this text, there are things like don't marry an unbeliever. That's oftentimes what's taught um, in this text is we don't marry those who are unbelievers. Usually when that happens, one of the two, I mean, they're either going to fall away or the other one's going to become a believer. But there's also the application that we don't sit underneath unbiblical teaching. I mean, we don't yoke ourselves to a church that isn't preaching truth. Um, and we, we need to always be aware of the way that the world is pulling us this way or that and be aware of that spiritually um, and disconnect ourselves from anything that's pulling us away from God that's causing us to question scripture those things are, are very dangerous and we need to unyoke ourselves from them um, so just encourage you to see if you you have any spiritual connections with anything or anyone that's pulling you from God that's causing people to look at you and say well are they really Christians are they really following what God has taught um Make sure we're not yoked to any sin. Make sure that we're not yoked to anything that is causing idols to be brought into our life, that is causing our communion with God to be separated. And it's something that we need to examine often. Um, we don't want to look like the world. We don't want to act like the world. We want to look like Christ and act like Christ. As uh, it says in 1 Corinthians six nineteen through 20, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? whom you have from God, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God with your body. And so as believers, let's walk this fine line together. Let's call each other out. If we see somebody's in a danger zone, let's make sure that we are always walking as Christ. Let's make sure as a church that we don't try to appease the world, that we don't try to appease the goats. We feed the believers that are here. When we go out into the world, it's when we evangelize and share the gospel message. Uh, does anybody have anything to add to that? All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for texts uh, like this and the chance to just dig in and study them, God. Um, we thank you that, that you have called us out of the darkness that we once walked in, that you've shown us your marvelous light, and we just pray that, that we would be a light to the world, that we would um, give the world the gospel message uh, because they're in deep need of it, Father. Uh, today, though, I pray that you would just help us uh, to receive the message that you've prepared through Jason, uh, allow him to uh, just be faithful to your word and open up our ears and hearts to the message that you will have us receive. We thank you for our time together. In Jesus' name, amen.